just uh, kind of just to remind you a little bit, and it's just as my custom, and I'm not going to apologize for it, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. We started there a few weeks ago, and we're going to be there, by the way. We uh, also, the study group on Wednesday, we, I had a great time on Wednesday. We had visitors with us from Loving Hands. That's another one of the ministries that we're going to participate with, and just had a great time with those young men. And um, we were studying in Ephesians, and we'll continue to do that this Wednesday as well for any of you who are interested. Ephesians 4, 1 through, 7, 1 through 6, excuse me, we'll be here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and in you all. So last week, you know, again, you get the message as I've uh, kind of highlighted and emphasized the word call and calling. And we know because of the scriptures and because we studied together that if you're a saint, you're called. And we also studied together what you were called to, so we won't go back there. But last week we studied the life of, of Samson, and we basically saw someone who was called but who really didn't live his life worthy of the calling. Uh, unfortunately. He had problems with obedience, he had problems with pride, and obviously problems with lust. However, he did get it right at the end, didn't he? Because at the end, um, and the Bible tells us that his hair started to grow up, but that was only a symbol because we know that the length of his hair had nothing to do with his strength. It was his separateness. It was his call, his calling and his uh, ability to be separate as a Nazarite to to live. uh, And that's really what... He got his strength from. However, um, in Hebrews, uh, we know that he got it right. Because remember at the end, what he did do was give up his own life for the cause of God. Mm-hmm. He gave up his own life. But see, my brother says, I, I, I failed to say this, and I, and I feel led right now to say, God bless you. What I'm saying to you, and, and as the scripture has said to us, you know, it wasn't until Samson had his eyes gouged out and he was humiliated, and then he started to realize his call he started to realize who he was and what he had to do as it relates to God. And see, my brothers and sisters, sometimes it does take tragedy or, or things to happen to us. Sometimes we, we have to be humbled. Amen. And, uh, my, you know, I'm, 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 my prayer is that something drastic doesn't have to happen and that we can learn from the Scriptures. Amen. And so we understand now that his eyes were gouged out. I mean, part of his problem was, was lust. You know, Jesus said, if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. You know, why, 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 did, why am I parked here? Why, out of all of the things that I think that I have to say, all of the studying and the prepare, preparations that I've made, why am I parked here? Well, I don't know. But my hope is that you know. My hope is that the Lord is ministering to you right now, that somewhere along the line you know in your life that there's something, you know, whether it's the lust of the eyes or you have an obedience problem, you know what the Word says, but you, it's just not that important to you to, to adhere to it. You know, you're really living your life according to you, know, you being on the throne in your life. You're the one who's in charge and not God. And that's why you have a problem with obedience. Or it's just pride. You don't want to humble yourself among your peers. You don't want to humble yourself before the Lord. But let's not let it go there. Let's not let it go there. And, and Samson got it right. Praise God. And I know that. How do I know that? I'm smart. No. Hebrews eleven thirty two. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, 
Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, we're made strong. Out of weakness, we're made strong. Hallelujah. Became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. My brothers and sisters, Samson, in his final moments of life, showed faith. He, he put his trust in, in, in God. I'm, it's time for, I'm, 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 I'm going to lay down my life for you in this moment. I'm laying down my life for your cause. He trusted God. So today we're going to talk about a different Old Testament saint, and one who also, by the way, is mentioned in that roll call of faith that we just um, read from in Hebrews 11. That is Samuel. Now, many of you are familiar with the life of Samuel. Uh, you've been in church, and you may have read First and Second Samuel and so on. You, you know the life of Samuel. But Samuel was actually born to a woman who couldn't have children, and we'll get into that in more detail in a little bit. And she prayed for, she prayed for, for a child. She wanted the blessing of the Lord, and she totally gave Samuel up when she was blessed with him. She said, Lord, if you give me a child, I'm going to dedicate him to you. And there's other details that we'll go over in a, in a minute, but I just wanted you to have the uh, Reader's Digest version, the, the quick summary first. And so she did what, exactly what she said. She loaned him to the Lord. She brought him to the temple, and she gave him to Eli, the priest, and had him serve God before, uh, under Eli. And uh, Samuel uh, stayed right. He followed the direction of Eli. He served under Eli obediently, and he served the Lord. And then we became a certain age. Uh, the Lord called him. But the whole time, up until his calling, he obeyed the direction of Eli. In the meantime, Eli himself has been growing old. And Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas, as Eli was getting older, he, he, you know, they allowed, he, Eli, allowed them to help him serve as priests. And they were very corrupt it was the uh, the priest's custom that they would, when they made the sacrifice, they would stick a three-pronged fork into the boiled meat and they would take their share. But we know that Hophni and Phinehas were taking more than their share. They were extorting more than their share from the people of Israel. They even uh, caused the women to sin. They seduced women. And they, they did just many, many bad things in their position. They disregarded, they disregarded their service to the Lord by serving themselves. They even threatened the people physical violence if they didn't pay them off, if they didn't give them their share. They extorted the people. And they were supposed to be the ones that were helping the people. And they did. And God warned Eli. Actually, Eli knew even before God came to him, or at least before the, the word that we have, Eli heard about it from the people. It was reported to Eli. And then God sent a man, even though at this time there was hardly any revelation at all. God wasn't speaking to the, the children of Israel hardly at all now because, you know, basically they had sinned and lived separate from God. And that's why they were in subjugation to the Philistines in the first place. So God is not really speaking to them. There's hardly any revelation. So God sends an anonymous man of God. And he tells Eli a thing or two. <laughs> he tells him, you knew about this, and you did nothing about it. You knew what your sons were doing, and you did nothing about it. Instead, listen, you prefer... Listen, he, well, listen to what he says. Listen, parents, grandparents, 
you preferred your sons over me. You loved your sons more than you loved me. Yeah. You didn't do what was right according to me. You just let them do what they wanted to do. Why? Because you didn't want to have a fight with them. Uh, You didn't want to do what the law said according to Moses with sons that were rebellious. I mean, you didn't want to take responsibility. Um, You didn't want to have the argument. You didn't want to have the unpleasantness. You didn't want to have hard feelings between you and them. What, what? So you preferred your sons over me. And he says, and, and the man of God said to him, by the, by the Lord, you're going to be cut off. You know, I chose your family. I chose your ancestor. I chose your father, Aaron, to be the priest before me. And you basically kicked at my sacrifice. You've disrespected this. This is all coming down on Eli. And he told him what he was about to do. Then we get the calling of, of Samuel as this happens. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you like a little bit more depth in the scripture so that you could basically study it for yourself. And I want to try not to bore you. Last week it seemed like everybody was, I wasn't spitting and spewing, so you know, it brought a somber mood. But please, hear this. give you more details. Now, there was a certain man of the uh, Ramathium, Zophium, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and the son of Ephraim. And Zuf was an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man, Elkanah, went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering to the, <clears throat> to the Lord, the, uh, an offering, the, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. He's demonstrating here. This tells us something. He really loved Hannah. Not that he did not love his wife, Penina, but he loved Hannah. And even though it was kind of a, a, in that culture, it would have been really negative for her not to be able to have children, it says he gave her a double portion. If you really look at the, the, the words that that's, he gave her a choice portion. He gave her the best. For he loved her, although the Lord closed her womb. Verse 6. And her rival, Penina, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept, she being Hannah, wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? My brothers and sisters, in this first text, and as we, as we break this open, as we un- start to unpack this, here's the thing that I'm seeing. I'm seeing a, a, a man and his wife who worship God. See, you see, 
it was their custom. They went up to Shiloh every year as was to make their sacrifice. They made that pilgrimage every year. It's not that they didn't worship their God every day. It's not that they didn't acknowledge they were God's you know, chosen people every day. But every year they made sure they made that pilgrimage and made their sacrifice and paid their vows. Every year they did that. Come on. See, you see parents. You see leadership in the home right here. This is what struck me. In the first two examples of created and called uh, by God, man, I see a major emphasis. And I didn't plan this, but I see it. A major emphasis on the parents, the guardians, those who are raising these children up. In the case of Samson, we saw Manoah and his wife. They were, they were godly people. I mean, they, they did their best to, to walk in the word of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to them and told them, and again, his wife couldn't have children, but said, you're going to have a child and, and you're going to raise him as a Nazarite. And this is what's going to happen. I've created and called him for a reason. My words, not his. I've created and called him for a reason, for a purpose. Right? So now, as they're raising Samson, we see he, Samson has these issues. And, and they, they, like Eli, doesn't, they don't cut it off. They, they, they allow him to marry outside when it's wrong. They allow him to do some unclean things. My brothers and sisters, we're going to find out in this case, you have two holy people or two people who are trying to live their lives in a holy way, raising a son. I, I, I love what it says uh, in beginning in verse 9, 1 Samuel verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat at the, by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. Remember, we talked about on... Wednesday, being bitter. Remember, one of the reasons for being bitter is you're not getting what you want. Or you feel like you've been shortchanged, even by God. And you could even be bitter toward God because you feel like God is not hearing you. God is not doing the things that you perceive that he's supposed to be doing by you. Well, God, if I go to church, you're supposed to make everything right in my life. I didn't give you that. God, if I go to church, everything is going to be good. God, if I check the box, then you're supposed to answer my prayer. God, Pastor if I pray in the name of Jesus, this is supposed to take place. But see, then it doesn't happen. Or God, I was told by this guy on TV and that guy on TV, if I plant a $1,000 seed, the check will be in the mail. Am I the only one that hears that once in a while when I'm surfing? If I put that $1,000 check, if I send it to that ministry, I'm going to get a check in the mail. It doesn't happen. So now we get the bitterness to start to set in. She was bitter of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And look at this. And no razor shall come upon his head. What, in effect, what is she saying? I'm raising him as a Nazarite. I'm raising him separate. I'm separating him out. He's not going to be like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. He's not going to go ahead and do what they do. We're raising him specifically for you. Amen. Oh, if we had some more parents in the church like that. Right, Addie? She said, amen. She, she shook her head, Rachel. So, there you go. 
but my brothers and sisters, no razor. So this is, it's not the, the length of the hair. No. It's what it represents. What does it represent? I am going to be separated for his use. I am living for him, not for myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Hannah is now continuing to pray. You get the picture. She's at the the door of the tabernacle, and she's praying to the Lord, and she's saying this prayer, but she's praying under her breath. Like, what is it? Dominic talks, lips moving, but nothing's coming out. So Eli, the priest, is sitting there next to her. So he he accuses her of being drunk. Hey, how how long are you going to be drunk? And and, and she says, but no, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart before God. She explains the situation to him. It says, I'm just pouring out my heart before God. After he hears, Eli says, well, let the Lord give you what you've prayed for. Tony English. Let the Lord give you what you've prayed for. And in verse 18, this is what, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I want you to see this. I really want, because me, man, all of us are guilty at this time or two. We go to God, we pour out our heart before God, and we don't leave it there. We pour out our heart before God. We go, and we go ahead and act like we never asked him for it in the first place. We're still sad. I love this. This is an Old Testament woman who is basically saying, listen, I've left this with God. It's in his hands. I've put my trust and faith in God. He heard my prayer, so I'm, I'm not worried about this anymore. Wow. Wow. I, man, I want me some of that. Pardon my English. I want that. I want to be able to go to God and, and, and just leave it, pour out my heart before God to pour out my heart before him, know that he heard me and know that some way, somehow, he's going to answer. You believe in Jesus? You know that his blood made the atonement now you're reconciled back to God? When you pray, when you're praying in the name of Jesus and you're asking in the name of Jesus, it's done, same thing. Same thing. We can walk away knowing that he heard us. And not just that he has the ability to answer, but he wants to answer. Amen? And it's not according to my good deeds. It's not according to my righteousness. It's, not a, it's according to Jesus. He's, man, my brothers and sisters, all I got to do is live in Jesus. All I got to do is follow Jesus. The rest takes care of itself. Hallelujah. So now she's okay. She leaves. Her face is no longer sad. She's, she's eating. She's doing everything. So the next morning they get up. They worship. See, they, work, they woke up early and they worshiped. They woke. See, that, that, there, see again, here, this, I'm trying to emphasize here, and I hope you're hearing this. This is a father and a mother who have made it their conviction and their walking according to their conviction. What they know of God, they're walking according to. And they're, con- they're, they're doing it. And so now that next day, she didn't get the answer to the prayer. She just has confidence that she, God heard her and she will have the answer to her prayer. She's no longer sad. She wakes up in the morning and she goes and she worships some more. And then they begin their journey home. And we know when they get home through the process of time, God answers her prayer. She becomes pregnant. 
And then she gives birth to her son. And she names him Samuel. Why does she name him Samuel? Samuel literally, literally translated means heard of God or heard by God. Again, giving God the glory. She was heard by God. So the year goes by and it's time to go back to Shiloh to worship. And Hannah says, listen, to Elkanah, I don't want to go. I, I don't want to go. Um, you know, until it's time for the boy to be weaned where he can live away from me. And so Elkanah, her husband, says something interesting. He says to her, okay, you know, that's fine if you don't want to be so. Only let the word of the Lord be done. Only let the word of the Lord. Did I give you that? Yeah, hell, there you go. Said to her, don't do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the, the, the Lord establish his word. And that's, our, our, we would say that in our English, let, do it according to God's will. Let, the word, let God's will be done in this situation. Only let this, if that's God's will, then let's do this. Let's do it that way. Leave him here. So she did. She, and then in uh, 1 Samuel three nineteen to 21, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Wow. But there's, my brothers and sisters, look. When, when Hannah basically in effect says, I'm going to, there's, there's some more process here that's happening. I, you know, the Bible, there, there, there's a stretch in here that there's not a lot of detail. And that's where I want to focus and emphasis. How could I do that? My brothers and sisters, it doesn't say, but we know already by what it has said that Elkanah and Hannah are worshiping God. So now in the time between um, Samuel's birth and his actual being dedicated uh, to the Lord or presented, I should say, to Eli, uh, there's some stuff going on. Amen? What's going on? He's, even as a little child, he's seeing his mother and father worship the Lord. He's seeing his mother and father, you know, in their practices, what they're doing, how they treat each other. Come on. How they treat each other, the time that they spend in prayer, the time that they spend discussing the word. Right? Now, just remember Hannah's life to this point. I, I want to emphasize this for you women. Just remember Hannah's, Hannah's point uh, just before, I, I should say, just prior to uh, having Samuel, having her prayer answered. Every time she is going to worship in Shiloh, every time she's going to worship the Lord, it's, you know, she's reminded that she doesn't have any children. Well, why? Because there's a bunch of portions being given to Panina, but she only gets a choice portion because her husband loved her. She, he gave her a choice portion to try and make up for it, but she's always reminded every year she doesn't have any kids. And her rival, Panina, reminded her of that each and every time. Remember what we read? It, he, she provoked her. She provoked her. See, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes in your communities, in my community, and in some. There's always young people. There's always going to be some pressure, and there's always going to be some people to try and remind you of who you're supposed to be, and not who God wants you to be. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing that, especially from my uh, African American brothers, young brothers, and young sisters. I'm so tired of that, constantly being reminded. Well, if you do this, then you're betraying your race. Am I lying? 
I'm so tired of that. So we see this firsthand. My brothers and sisters, I'm telling you something. She was provoked every time she worshipped, but she still did it. She still did it. And then when she went to the Lord and she prayed for this, she, her countenance changed. She believed it. She believed it. Now, here's what I believe personally. If it didn't happen that next year, I think that her disposition probably would have stayed the same. I really believe that in my heart. I, I can't prove that, but that's just what I believe in my heart. That's my personal belief. Why? Because I believe that God blessed her knowing her character. And her character was proven. How was her character proven? Well, we're going to find that out here in a minute. In chapter 1, it ends with uh, Hannah going to Shiloh and presenting uh, Samuel to the Lord and Eli. And she presented him to the Lord. She's giving up her son, this one that she prayed for, this one that was so important to her. She's giving him up. And so she goes there to Shiloh and she worships. It says that she makes a sacrifice, three bulls, and she brings the ephah of uh, flour, and she, and she makes a sacrifice before the Lord. She's worshiping God, not just by giving the son that she promised, but worshiping God as is her custom and doing those things that she's supposed to do. There's no, there's no uh, hesitation on her part. She's giving willingly. She's worshiping God with all of her heart. So she leaves him. But then the narrative kind of switches, and it switches back to Eli and his sons. And I've talked to you a little bit real quickly in the Reader's Digest version here about how corrupt they really were and the things that they did were so nasty. And it was, it was amazing to me. But even then, as those, the corruption is taking place, Eli, his two sons, Look at what it says in 1 Samuel 2, 18, 19, and 26. Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. That ephod was what the priests wore. It was a special garment that the priests wore. King David took that ephod and it, like he was a priest sometimes. Amen? We know that when he, did, when he prayed for Ziklag. In verse 19, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Did you hear that? Every year she would see him and she never took him back. And it wasn't because he was a bratty kid. Boy, I'm glad we left him. It says that he was serving as a child. He was serving Eli. He was serving the Lord and serving Eli. He was not a bad kid. He was a good kid. But she brought him a robe each and every year. She was providing for her son, but nurturing him where he was, nurturing him according to the calling on his life. You didn't catch that. See, those of us who are parents, grandparents, guardians, we have a responsibility. And it doesn't matter where our children are in their growth and development, but we have a responsibility. If you are a born-again Christian, you have a responsibility to nurture your child according to the calling that God's... Well, I don't know what they're called to. You know they're called to be a Christian. You, you, You know they're called to be a Christian. You may not know exactly what their gifts are, and you may not know specifically what work God has planned for them, but you do know that God has work for them. How do we know that? It says it in the Word. 
that God has ordained works from beginning, from the foundations of the earth. He has ordained works for Christians to walk in. John, say amen, because I don't think some of them believe me. I know they know you know the word. My brothers and sisters, listen, every Christian has works to do. Every Christian has a call on his life. We've already covered this. But that means, my brothers and sisters, that your child, if you're a, if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again Christian, parent, grandparent, nephew, um, uncle, aunt, you have a guardianship over anybody, my brothers and sisters, you have a responsibility to nurture them not according to your wisdom, not according to your likes and dislikes, not according to your tradition, but according to the calling of God. Thank you, Jesus. I got a few amens. See, my brothers and sisters, I, as I'm studying this for this series, and I'm, I'm, you know, these first two messages, I know you guys aren't getting excited about but I'm telling you, look at the emphasis. Look at where we find ourselves today, last week. It all begins with the parents and the guardians. How about this? How about Eli? He's a spiritual leader. What is he doing? He knows something is happening in his very household and he's not doing anything about it. He gives them a little cursory, uh, hey, cut it out, guys. Stop it. You. He does give them a, you know what? I know that before that man of God went to Eli, we know that there had to be some kind of conversations going on. But then after that man of God came to Eli and, and, and spoke for God and told him something specific, it's it. He said to Hophni and Phineas something, something interesting. He said, listen, if, if a man has a, a problem with another man, you know, God can act as judge. If a man sins against another man or if a man offends another man, you know, God can act as judge between them. And there, there may be some, some kind of adjudication. You know? But if a man offends God, then who's the judge then? Who stands in, in the gap then? Well, we had the answer. Jesus. Jesus. They didn't have that back then. We have it now. Because he says, this is what God pronounced. He said, even the sacrifices of Moses will not take away your sin. That's what he said to them. He said to you, even the sacrifices of Moses are not going to take your sin away. They offended God so greatly and they were kicking and disrespecting the sacrifices. My brothers and sisters, we need to teach our young people better than that. And those of us who are leaders in the church, or we like to think ourselves as leaders in the church, we have a responsibility, not just to our own house, but also to the houses of others. I want to say to people who are singing up here, anybody who gets on a platform or teaches in this church, you have a responsibility. You, you, I'm, listen, anybody who ever stands before a group of people and speaks, that's why there's people that don't come to this church, some, because I wouldn't let them do certain things. Why? Because there was, they were living openly in sin. Do, we all make mistakes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you are living in open sin, if you're not living at, according to the knowledge that you have of the Lord, don't get up here. Don't get in classrooms. I shouldn't be in the pulpit. Why? Because I have a responsibility to the young people. 
especially the young people. To everybody, yeah, but to the young people especially. What kind of example am I bringing? And I could stay here for a while because you know, and I've shared with some of you the things that I've heard from some of these young people in the neighborhood, what they say to me about people that are going to church and how they justify doing the things that they do in the life and they still think that they're saved and going to heaven because after all, they're seeing all of this other stuff. Oh, and by the way, one of the reasons why young people don't go to Christian churches anymore is because of that. They see the hypocrisy. They, they, they hear what's being preached and they hear what's being shouted, hey, yes and amen, but they don't see it being lived. That's a fact. All right, I, I didn't expect you to shout me down then, but that's the fact. That's what we're battling, and that's what we can. Now, verse 26, and it says, Then the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with who? The Lord and men. The Lord and men. By his life, by he, as he was growing, he's growing in body, he's growing in stature, but he's growing as it relates to the favor of God. He's walking in obedience to what he's being told by Eli. He's, be, he's able to listen. In order to be a good leader, you first have to be a good follower. So he's developing to, to be a good leader by being a good follower under Eli. Amen? Chapter 2 ends with that man of God that I told you about delivering that message to Eli. But now, finally, we're going to get to the calling of Eli in chapter 3. Verse 1 says, The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. You see that? So except for that one man that we've already talked about, right? You know, There was really no word of the Lord being taught or uh, preached to anybody that was solid. God stopped talking to them. They didn't want to hear him anyway. So God stopped talking to them. But when there was something that had to happen, God ordained somebody, and there was a man of God who delivered that message to Eli. And now, so that's the state that they find themselves in. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, he was lying down to go to sleep, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered. He said, here I am. So he ran into Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. So so I like picturing this. So now, listen. Eli is going to lay down and, and, and he's going to bed and, and he's going to sleep. And you have Samuel is lying down. He's probably in the tabernacle somewhere and he's sleeping. And it says before the light in the tabernacle would, went dim. So it's, it's late at night. It's not close to dawn yet. So it's still late at night. The, the, the candle, the, the lamp is still lit, still burning. And Samuel hears a voice. Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up and he runs into Eli's room. I love this. He runs into Eli's room. He says, here I am. You called me. Well, Eli wakes up and he says, uh, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Read it. It says it. Not exactly like that. That's my English, but that's basically what he says. So Samuel goes back to bed. He lays down and he hears again. Samuel, Samuel, here I am. And he runs back and he goes to see how, hey, you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So the third time, Samuel, Samuel, he runs in there. He says, you called me this time. Here I am. You called me. So by this time, Eli figures it out. Eli figures it out. He says, listen. He says, go back. He says, when you hear the voice call you, say, 
here I am. Your servant hears you, Lord. Speak, I'm hearing. Speak to your servant, I hear you. You know, the Bible tells us that because it was, Samuel thought it was Eli calling him, and the reason why was, in verse 7, it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So he's hearing this calling, but he don't recognize it. He thinks it's Eli. Why? Because he doesn't know the Lord or he doesn't know the, the word of the Lord hadn't been revealed to him yet. He doesn't know the Lord. Right now, he's serving the Lord through the relationship that he has with Eli. Oh, boy. He's serving the Lord through the relationship that he has with Eli. And he's doing a very good job. And he's pleasing the Lord. He's able to, he's coming under the discipline of Eli. He's following the leadership and he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's living a totally consecrated life and he's doing what he's supposed to do. But when God calls him, at first he can't understand. He can't. So he heard from the priest. And the priest said, Here's what you do. When the priest finally, it finally registered with Eli, it's God calling him. He says, Here's what you do. So the priest revealed a word. See, when I first went to church, the day that I got saved, I knew of God. My parents had me in church. They tried to raise me in church. They tried to raise me the right way, morals. I mean, really, things were so different back then anyway. But the fact of the matter is, my brothers and sisters, I knew of God, but I didn't know him. And then I went to church that day and I heard some things talked about that, and I heard some scriptures that I vaguely remembered, but I mostly was taken back by the fact that a pastor got in the pulpit, opened up a Bible, and he started ministering that word, and I, I mean it, that word was hitting me square in the chest. He's preaching out of the Bible, but it, it's, man, he's talking to me. How could that? So I, I gave my father the stink eye. My father was, I gave my father the stink eye. I said, you told that guy I was coming. Just, I mean it, I said it just like that. You told that guy I was coming. N- n- no. My father said, no. He didn't know you were coming. So what am I saying? See, I knew of God, but in that moment, I started hearing from God. So it wasn't until I had a word come through, and it's by preaching. But God says that he chose the foolishness of preaching so that people might be saved. So you hear the word preached. You read it and you get it down on the inside. But see, I heard that word preached and it, and it applied to me and I reacted to it. Samuel heard something. He didn't know what it was. He needed the priest to tell him. He needed the priest. Listen, when you hear this, this is what you do. See, my brothers and sisters, there's so many uh, people that I'm afraid they're, 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 they're serving under someone, but they're not serving the Lord. They're serving according to someone and not really serving what the Lord says. Come on, stay with me. This is important. See, and when I, when I read this and when I, when I really, and I didn't really get this until I started to leave the house this morning, I'm thinking, that man, that's, that's pressing. This pressed on me. Come on, listen. This pressed on me. Well, why? Because remember that uh, scripture back in Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we cast out devils in your name? Haven't we done many mighty miracles in your name, many mighty works in your name? 
And what did the Lord say in 23? Depart from me, you who worked iniquity. I never knew you. But he knows everybody. Yeah, but when he's talking like that, I was never in relationship with you. You were in relationship with somebody, but it wasn't me. You were doing what you thought you were supposed to do based on religion and earning your way with me. But that's not how it goes. The only way to get to me is by you recognizing my love for you and then you loving me back. Got nothing to do with, let me check the box, I went to church. Oh, I prayed in the prayer group and we cast out a few demons. There's, there's something that God's going to respect. I can't wait to get there. God's going to pat me on the back and say, yeah, you were there when they cast out that demon. Praise the Lord. You were, I moved because of your prayer. No. No. You see the reaction of the Lord. Depart from me. So I see this. Samuel had to get, he, he, he heard the calling. He heard it, but he had to be instructed. But then he had to react. See, up to that point, he's working, and it's good. There's, there's probably results. We know the results. How do we know? Because it says he was growing in stature, not just in stature as it relates to him growing up, but also as it relates to the respect that he was getting from people. Something was happening. There were some positive things going on there. Amen? All right. So Samuel is serving, and, and my brothers and sisters, he just continues, and now all of a sudden you know that if he's doing that well, now he hears God, he's following God, and now the Lord speaks to him personally. When Samuel answers, he does exactly what the man of God told him to do, or the priest told him to do. He did exactly what he said, speak, your servant hears. And the Lord spoke to him. Now, I want to say something to you as well. We know that the Lord just didn't speak to him in an audible voice from heaven. The Lord appeared to him. He saw him. Now, it doesn't say what form. It doesn't say the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say a burning bush like he appeared to Moses. It doesn't say. But we just know that there was some kind of form that he saw. He had a vision. And the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord told him exactly what he was going to do regarding Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. But, uh, but the way he starts, it's, 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 it's really crazy. He said, oh, I got it written down right here. And he says, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. He didn't say, I'm going to tickle their ears. He said, I'm going to make their ears tingle. He says, I'm going to shock them. What's about to happen is going to shock everybody. Everybody in Israel is going to be turned up on. They're going to hear this. It's going to shock. It's going to make shock waves. And, and my brothers and sisters, he basically said the same thing, what he was going to do, the same thing that the man of God said that appeared to Eli, said the same thing. And now he's confirming you with Samuel. So Samuel gets up in the morning. He goes about his duties. And so now Eli gets up and he says, hey, tell me, what did the Lord say to you? Samuel does not want to tell him. He says, tell me what the Lord said to you or the things that he said, let them be upon you. So Samuel, okay, let her rip. And he let it rip. Eli reacted. He said, if it's, if it's the God's will, then, then bring it. So then we get to verse 19 of 1 Samuel 3. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Did you hear that? Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That means everything he said came to pass. It was with wisdom it came to pass. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. How? Amen. Amen. 
Again, now remember where we studied in 1 Samuel chapter 3 in the second part of verse 1. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. That's changed now, hasn't it? That's changed now. Why? One young man who was dedicated even before he was born and raised according to the calling. He lived it. And now Israel has, again, communication with God through Samuel. And it means so much. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So there's that communication. Now we also see in chapter 4, as we go into chapter 4, and all of a sudden now Israel starts fighting back against the Philistines. Now, I'm thinking to myself, maybe now, you know, God is starting to speak to them, so now they're getting a little bit uh, bold. We got God on, God is back. We're back, baby. Look out, Philistines, we're back. So what do they do? They go out there, they fight, they lose 4,000 men. Uh Uh-oh. So then they have a big idea. And they say, well, look, God is back. This is my words, not theirs. God is back. So now maybe what we need to do is we'll take the Ark of the Covenant with us when we go to battle. We'll take that with us, the presence of God. So what are they doing? They're basically treating God like a good luck charm. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll carry this good luck charm with us and, and, and that'll be all right. It's like, please, Lord, please, Lord. No, God is not a good luck charm. It doesn't work that way. No. So they take the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when they take the Ark of the Covenant into the midst of the people, man, they're making such a noise. The Bible says that they're making such a loud noise that the earth shakes. And now the Philistines hear it. And then they find out the Ark of the Covenant is with the the children of Israel. So now they start shaking in their boots. Man, we remember what happened to the Egyptians. And we remember all of those things. Man, what happened to the Egyptians? We don't want that to happen to us. I guess their leaders say, just take heart, man. Just fight like men. Just get out there and fight the fight. So they fight them. And what happens? They lose, what, 30,000 men. The Israelis lose 30,000 men, including Hophni and Phinehas. And the thing about Hophni and Phinehas dying that day, what the Lord told Eli was, when he spoke through that man of God, the sign that you're going to know that everything I'm telling you is true, both your sons are going to die in one day. And that's the same thing God told Samuel. So God gave a word, his word was confirmed, and then his word came to pass. And they were done. Not only that, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. They take it back with them. They put it in their temple of Dagon, their god. So they put it in there, they get up one morning, the next morning, and Dagon, their statue of their god, is down at the, at the, the base of the Ark of the Covenant, worshiping at the feet of God. So they put it back up. They get up the next morning, same thing, but the head and the hands are broken off. There is no God above our God. God was sending the message. Your God has to fall before me, and he sure did. My brothers and sisters, we have to do that as his people. 
We can't have other gods in our life. We can't have anything else taking the place of God in our life. Well, I don't, Tony. You know, I pray to Jesus and all that other stuff. Okay, but really, if you think about it, if you really think about it, what in our lives has precedent over that? Even our kids. Do our own kids have more of our time and attention? Well, of course they do. The kids, they require so much time and attention. Yeah, but see, when you're doing that, you're training your kids to, to go ahead and be stealers of your time instead of going ahead and spending their time with you in worship of God. See, we have to do this. It's as parents, as leaders, pastors, preachers, teachers, five-fold ministry, but my, my brothers and sisters, the, the reason why we find ourselves in a condition, this is not going to be popular, I, I know this, but I don't care. Listen, the reason why we find ourselves in the condition that we find ourselves in today is because probably back in the 60s, 70s, even though there was the Jesus movement and all this other stuff, we started going ahead and the church started melding with the culture just a little bit. We started bending with the culture just a little bit. We've kept our distance from every, you know, every passing fad and fancy, but, but we still kind of buy in. I'm going to tell you here and now, and so that if I ever go back on this, I want you to remind me of it and I want you to smack me. If I ever get up in here with ripped jeans tattoos and piercings, I want you to smack me. Why? Because that's so sinful, Tony, and we don't want... No, but that's not what this is about. This is about to not look, not to be, not to, but, but to worship God. Amen. Not to set those kind of examples, but to set an example that we're supposed to be separate. So look at, in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I had so much more, but I want to end it here. Listen, we know that what Samuel does then, Samuel... Um, he worships God. He, 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 the um, Philistines have problems first with the ark, and they, gotta, they, gotta, they send it back. When the ark comes back, they think the Israelis are happy and all this other stuff, but some of them look into the ark, and 50,000 Israelis die because they didn't have enough respect. They didn't have the, the wherewithal to respect the ark of the covenant. And so they... they they died. There was 50-something thousand of them died. So then they say, we'll send it to Kerath-Jerim. And so they sent this someplace else at Abinadad's house, and he assigned Eleazar to take care of it, and that's where it stayed. But then at that point now, the Israelis are they're, they're, they're turning to Samuel. Samuel says to him, listen, here's what you, if you really want, if you really want unity, if you really want to worship God, here's what you absolutely need to do. He says, you need to put away all of your idols. You need to stop worshiping the gods of the Philistines. You need to stop worshiping all of these idol gods and start worshiping the Lord who is your God. I'm I'm paraphrasing the rest of this because I don't want to take much more time. My brothers and sisters, that's what he said. He said, and then he called them to Mizpah. And he says, look, fast. He poured water on the ground. Why, Why did he pour water on the ground? There's many people that have a lot of different reasoning for that. You know what I'm thinking? Pour it all out. Pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart and soul to God. Right here, right now. Let's pour it all out to God. Give everything that you are. Give it to God. Now, when all of the Israelis were congregated at Mizpah, the Philistines get the idea, okay, we got them all in one place. Let's go nail them. But the Israelis are now worshiping God. 
They're now confessing their sins before God. They fasted for the day and they're confessing their sins before God. They're getting in relationship. They're getting back in right relationship with God. And so, listen, my brothers and sisters, because the word of the Lord came through this young man whose parents thought enough of God to raise him up separately, to give him to God and not take him back. In fact, not just not take him back, but to go ahead and sustain him where he was so that he can remain separate, that he can remain called of God, that he can have God fulfill the calling that he had on him. They, they helped him. They nurtured him. And because they did that, now you have a man who is now reconciling, in a, in a sense, Israel, God's people, back to God. Now they can hear from God. Now they understand some things that they didn't understand just a little while ago. Now when they're gathered at Mizpah and they've poured out their hearts before God, they made sacrifices, they're fasting. And now their enemy starts coming up around them. And when their enemy starts to come up around them, God caused major thunderings to happen so bad that they were totally confused. They who? The Philistines. When they thought they had their, their, their enemy, they thought they were going to be able to take all those Israelis at one time at Mizpah, God intervened. Why? Why did God intervene? Because one man who was raised by holy people was a great follower and became a great leader. Stayed true to his calling. Heard the word of the Lord and was not afraid to deliver the word. Heard the word of the Lord, acted upon it. And that day, my brothers and sisters, there were a lot of Philistines that were killed and Israel, Israel ended up getting back a lot of their promised land that day. In verse 9 of 1 Samuel 7, I'm just going to read that one. You don't, don't read it later. Look, listen to me. During this whole process at Mizpah, this, the sacrifice that I said to you earlier, this is what it was. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, and the Lord answered him. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. In that moment, Samuel was doing what was told to him that also spoke of the sacrifice that would be given for the whole world. That lamb that Samuel slain was a perfect lamb. It was a young lamb, perfect, without spot, without blemish. He made the sacrifice that atoned for the sins of Israel. And God, you see what it says there? The Lord answered him. How did he answer? Their enemies were confused, confounded, and they were able to overtake their enemies. Their enemies did not overtake them that day. My brothers and sisters, none of us are going to go home and sacrifice a lamb. In fact, we're going to live the rest of our lives. We'll never have to sacrifice any kind of animal. We won't have to spill any animal's blood. And we didn't have to to come to him in the first place either because he did it. 
He poured out all of his blood. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. He spilled out all his blood to pay for our sins. You see the mighty work that God did for Israel that day at Mizpah? How much more will he do for you because of the blood of his son? When I go to prayer, I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for my kids' kids. I'm going to pray for you, your kids. We need to pray for each other. And because of the blood of his son, he will do mighty things. Do you believe that? But here's the thing. Am I living worthy of the call with which I am called? Am I, am I doing that? Now, that's where it has to start. And do I know that my calling as a leader, as a parent, as a guardian, includes those young people that are around me? I wish I was more spiritually mature when my kids were small. Sorry. I, I wish I was. I'd love to take back some of those mistakes I made, but the fact is I can't. But this also is what I know. He'll restore what the locusts have eaten. He says it. Stand with me, please, if you can.